This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. As many of you know, Doug is a part of the United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, and recently he sat down at their live global table with Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin and Dr. Paul Van Valen to discuss how to navigate the stressors that are facing the body of Christ in 2020, and how do we prepare to be givers and bringers of peace to those who are experiencing grief and anxiety and fear. Christ Jesus has called us to embody his spirit upon this earth. And so I want you to lean in and listen, get out your notebooks and get ready. Today is a powerful episode. You know, it's, uh, I think all of us recognize the increased sense of corporate tension, stress, anxiety, uh, and especially as apostolic leaders globally, you carry a major burden, not just for those that you serve, but also picking up and sensing the corporate context of somewhat added PTSD, stress, trauma. But it seems to be compounded on many, many levels, not just from the pandemic, but then economics and job losses, income loss, family issues, in the midst of a very divisive culture uh, and for various factors, we, we are carrying something, and it's hard to work through that. And I shared this in previous books I've written, including Leadership Awakening, that there are seven primary things that will come against us as leaders when we're seeking the well-being of those that we serve. One of those is discouragement. And when we become discouraged, which is like a powerful drug, when we become discouraged, uh, we can become uh, disappointed with God, with one another. We could become disappointed about various things. We, we get off balance, get off focus, and, and we become disillusioned, and we become distracted from the destination that God wants for us. And, and if we get distracted from our destination, those who follow us and look for our leadership will also find themselves uh, untethered, so to speak, from that place of direction in their lives. It's a time we need each of you to be courageous and persevering leaders more than ever before. We live in a world where the nation's are perplexed, men's hearts fail them out of fear, people are, are stressed out. In fact, I was thinking about Luke chapter 22, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, says, Terry, here for an hour, he went to pray, came back, they fell asleep, and it says they fell asleep from sorrow in the English translation, but the word translates to overwhelmed, stressed, burdened, and uh, some of us just want to curl up and just hide away. Some of us respond by not eating, overeating. All of us respond differently under extreme stress and burden. But uh, he said, this is not the time to let the circumstances around you dictate to who, to who you are. But it's that time to, to really pray, to wake up and pray. And that's that time for us as leaders right now. This is that moment we prayed for, that this is that moment we can take opportunity of the moment in the midst of difficulties to see the gospel of the kingdom advance, preaching the gospel everywhere, bringing healing everywhere, and uh, and seeing everywhere we go and everywhere that we that we minister to. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to speak uh, for over an hour to Iranian leaders in Iran, in Turkey, in Europe via Zoom call, and uh, and then again invited to be a part of a gathering of North and South Korean and other international leaders to pray as they were praying for America. 
and then also uh, praying for uh, with leaders in India and around the world. So I know all of us have these moments of opportunity, but this is something in the midst of all this happening that God has allotted us this opportunity for our testimony. And that's why your leadership is more important now than ever before. So I'd like uh, Dr. Paul Van Valen, who, as many of you know, is a, is a Christian, but also is a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, he has been a great friend to many of us here. I know to Bishop Matera and to myself. So uh, Dr. Uh, Paul Van Valen, would you share, and if you're muted, please unmute yourself and share with us um, some of your observations at times like this, especially your experience with trauma and stress in times like 9-11. We see that compounded today on a global stage as well as with what we're dealing with as pastors and leaders across this nation and around the world. Thank you, Dr. Doug. I really appreciate the invitation today. I, I love gathering with you all. Um, this has been an unprecedented season for all of us in many ways. And, and for my group, I'm, I'm speaking now for all the mental health practitioners in Southeast Virginia. We hit capacity about four months ago, unprecedented. All of my people have been full. We haven't been able to take about a fraction of new uh, clients and patients for four months. Uh, and, and that speaks to the demand for assistance. And so I've actually been unable to join many of these meetings because we're just busy. You know, 9-11 was, was uh, considered the worst tragedy uh, on, our, on our land uh, since the Civil War. And uh, we yet don't know the outcome of what's taking place now. So, so we could be in the, you know, kind of the most tragic season uh, in American history, depending on how long this goes and the effectiveness of vaccines. And so what, what we're having happen in a normal kind of stress situation is something raises the alarm. Uh, and this is a neurobiological system. And we become extremely vigilant and we become highly aroused. Blood pressure increases, muscle tension increases. Uh, the catecholamines are uh, neurotransmitters that are necessary to be engaged for crisis response. This is all healthy. This is a healthy model right here, right? So we go to arousal and vigilance and we assess the situation. We use our prefrontal lobe and we use wise counsel and we use social support and we assess the situation and then we can move to action or calm. And the action, if we have wise counsel, right information, will be effective and we can resume life. So this is a, we, we all have stress, but this is a healthy pattern. What COVID has amplified for us is constant alarm, constant warnings, constant sense of danger, vigilance, constant vigilance, constant arousal, but confusion and reduced social contact. This is so significant that we have reduced social contact during the season. So we are lacking a clear voice. Distrust of leadership has compounded unbelievably during COVID at all levels, in our churches, in our government. And so we have we have all kinds of things. Now, this leads to sometimes denial, which we see all the time. Um, we see it in political statements. We see it sometimes in churches. We see it in the behavior of people who are uh, acting blissfully uh, ignorant of, of how to take care of themselves. We will see it in, I just couldn't think of a phrase, error action, just bad choices. You know, we're doing something, but it's moving us in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and we see an increase in addiction and addictions, ways to try to cope. And so this is obviously unhealthy. And so we are, we are culturally not doing well right now with this. And we're in desperate need for leaders to step forward, regain trust, grasp 
what is truth and convey it and, and effective leadership. So we get back to where people are taking action that is helpful, right? Um, stress, uh, a simple model of the accumulation of stress is that you have stress, which is having to adapt to something. Um, you all have stress every day. Some of it's self-imposed because you're leaders. You're choosing to expand. You're choosing to grow. You're choosing to multiply. And so you're, you're having to mobilize and do this. Well, all that adaptation takes something from you. And even though as leaders, you have more, this is important to remember as leaders, you have more stress capacity, you have more resilience than the people that follow you. This is really important to remember that, is, that, that is, as with leading with empathy and authenticity, we have to realize that God has granted us a greater measure of capacity to cope, therefore lead. And, and, and if we fail to uh, realize this, we will burn out our teams. Because even though you have teams of leaders, they're not as strong as you are. Just keep that in mind while you're, while you're working this. So, so what happens is, though, eventually, and I've been through this, you know, fatigue sets in. And at that point, we can either rest, rejuvenate, recover. But uh, particularly after things like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, you know, we saw leaders uh, push through, uh, eventually potentially reaching exhaustion. And, and then you do that long enough and you have burnout which can lead actually to disease and actually to death. So this is, you know, you like to be able to intervene here. And so it's in terms of your own self-care, keep that in mind. You want to intervene here uh, where you can to not move in that direction. So I just wanted to give you a couple constructs and concepts to think about. The, uh, the key to uh, managing uh, stress, the number one thing that we want to have people have is appropriate social support. Number one uh, in all contexts. So the church historically is in a great place to, to provide a safe place for people to come, share, grow, learn, develop. And we've all had to adapt to this environment uh, with different uh, mechanisms and different methods. And I'm not here to, to try to preach to you about how to do that, but, but it's just a reality that we're all dealing with. Um, I'm really proud of my little church. I attend a charismatic Anglican church, and it's just a bunch, it's just a small little group. Most of them are pretty seasoned Christians. So they've, they've hung together with, with authentic community. There's been active attendance as we've been able to gather collectively in person, uh, a lot of communication among each other. Um, if you have a large organization, uh, you are particularly challenged to create intimacy within your constituents. And, and so that is where uh, I really want to encourage you to, to think and pray and seek guidance. Uh, one, one group that it did pretty well in the beginning that I, that I coach uh, in, in Florida a large church, seven large campuses, you know, I don't know, 8,000 people or something. And uh, all, the all the team was tasked, we're not doing events. You know, this is not a time for events. I want you to take all your time and create intimate conversation, which some leaders don't do very well, <laughs> honestly. Um, and so, so many found it challenging to shift from planning events, public speaking to intimate conversations. But that is the direction we need to encourage people to go uh, using technology, using the telephone, using Zoom. Uh, all of my team uh, for three months were doing all of their work just as we're doing now. And many of you are doing this also. Most of your work now is like this. And, you know, you can get used to it. It's different, but, but you can get used to it. But in the beginning, there's, there's stress. So, so what I wanted to open with, Doug, was just an introduction to some of the principles of stress kind of the patterns that it goes there. At some point, I have some, some tools to throw out, but I want to I wanna just pause and let you take charge again. Okay, Paul, I want to, because you, you mentioned some really important points here, and I'll have Bishop McLaughlin 
give a perspective as a pastor who leads uh, many, many other congregations, look to his leadership, and, and also he's involved in the marketplace. But as we work through some of these uh, regional type of uh, crises over the years together, uh, I know, of course, it was significant, uh, 9-11, as you helped considerably there, um, in, in the aftermath of like Hurricane Sandy, um, there is an element of those who uh, many are over, many times pastors or ministry leaders are not looked to as first responders, but really they are. They're, they're the point of contact for so many people. Right? I mean, even with the first, the first responders, the police, the, the fire department and others, uh, rescue workers, the, the pastors become uh, their go-to people for consult. And, uh, but there's an element in many of us as leaders at times that, that we go into a season of denial. And we, we see that even when I was in Japan working with leaders there, they, never, they didn't want us to address it like you have a problem. So we had to find a way to say, here's the context of identifying grief and trauma in the people you serve. And many times in that process, they get that healing that they need as well. How do you address some of that in the areas? Because many times we overlook the long-term grief and trauma issues that don't just affect the individual, but affects the whole community. Oh, that's, that's a really important point that you're raising here. Um, so grief is uh, a normal, God-given response to loss. There's nothing sinful about grief. Uh, Jesus wept. There have always been tools and patterns in every culture to deal with loss. And, and ours, again, are broken up by COVID. As You know, my father died in January, Doug. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't a surprise. He was, he was ill. He was aging. Um, and we were blessed to be able to have a, uh, a funeral service just before the pandemic uh, shut everything down. We had planned another memorial service where he ministered uh, later in, uh, in March, but that, that couldn't happen. So we were, we were blessed. We could get face-to-face with people, hug and pray, and, but that's, that's missing now. Uh, the reality of grief is that the bigger the event or the circumstance affects daily life, the more intense and longer the grief. It's a simple formula. Death of a spouse, if you love your spouse, is considered number one with a year minimum of adaptation. And it's this duration, Doug, that people don't get, uh, you know, unless you've been through it. Uh, and even after you've been through it, sometimes we fall into denial, sort of minimizing uh, how much it costs us, right? So, so, uh, so, so the more one's daily life is affected by the incident or event or loss, the longer and more intense. And so leaders... Uh, if you can acknowledge this with people that you lead, give them an opportunity to voice it. This is, this is what you do in grief counseling. You just come alongside. You just let people express. You validate their experience. You try not to, to minimize. And, and, and we have to be careful. A lot of our spiritual phrasing really invalidates or minimizes. You know, uh, when someone's in the depth of grief, even to say things like, well, God is in control. And now they're cursing God because you know, he did this to me. You know, so, so it's, it's, a, it's an awareness of, of what is meaningful in the moment, what helps guide people. And these are things that can be developed and studied. But, um, but uh, uh, what we saw after 9-11 in terms of working with leaders, we were actually called up to serve. Uh, the goal was to minister to pastors who were on the front lines ministering, hoping to help them keep from burning out. Well, we quickly realized they didn't have time for us. So, so, <laughs> so there's a timing of, of intervening, and that's in a, in a time of rest uh, where, you, where you can gather and rest. But when we're in what I call operation mode, you just go until you can get a break. But we learned so much from this. And what we learned to do with, uh, with frontline workers 
who, who couldn't step out of operation mode, we would ask them about their community, about their children, about their family, and they could engage in those conversations without tapping too much to themselves and breaking down, but we realized they were projecting themselves into this. And so we had real rich conversations. How are your kids doing? And, and they would be able to just stop and pause. And in that, we could hear very clearly their perspective, their need, and we could, we could talk about these things. So that's a technique that you all can use when, when you're dealing with people, you know, your medical personnel, your, your, your paraprofessionals that can't really take much time off. Just get them to talk about their experience in any fashion. And that is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Just providing empathy and stuff like that. Well, that brings another great point because a lot of times um, the in normally in normal situations, uh, there is a separation between the, what we would call it. Some would call secular entities, uh, civil government, local government, state governments, et cetera and the church, but when there's a crisis, it's interesting how the church is thrown right into the middle of it, and it becomes a long-term relational equity building opportunity. Absolutely. As uh, Adam Peacock uh, was sharing with us, and we were up with Dennis Peacock, and after the uh, fires up in Northern California, and he made a statement that uh, I thought was brilliant. He says, it's moments like this where we, prior to a crisis, the church is always looking to somehow get the community to come to church. But moments like this, the church is in the community. Oh, absolutely. And that's that, that kind of a anomaly here in the sense that, that we've been praying for this, but yet the crisis is not what we look for, but it becomes an opportunity when we get thrown into the equity that is developed because of it. But it has to be long-term. And there's we found that there are when there's a crisis, you have to look at issues of basic necessities like food, water, things like that. Secondly, short-term, long-term housing issues for many people. Third, obviously, is medical attention. But the one that seems to be always overlooked in any crisis that we've been a part of is long-term grief and trauma. And that's why, because it's not seen in the sense of immediately, it's, it's internal rather than external uh, practical needs. And so how do we, as, as pastors and, and ministry leaders, um, recognize the, the long-term effects and how, especially now, we're not dealing with just individuals. Now we're having to deal with whole communities and even people with, that are in, from civil government to local governments, agencies, and looking to the church for some sort of answers and realizing that in many ways, we don't have the resources they have, but yet we have a spiritual resource that we can draw from a well that never runs dry. Absolutely. I think everyone should have on their bookshelf some reference to grief. And if you don't have one, just get one. There, there are thousands of them. They're, they're, they're not, they're, it's not complex. It's simple stuff. But it's the kind of thing you have to choose to be aware of. You have to be intentional about you know, developing the, the skill set and the relationships you're talking about, Doug, in the community. Uh, many of you will remember the, uh, the uh, Ground Zero Clergy Task Force that, that came up rapidly uh, after 9-11, because of the relationships that clergy had with City Hall, with uh, fire departments, with police forces. And so they were actually granted, uh, at least for a season, access, you know, frontline access until some people goofed it up. But, but the, uh, the point is it's relational, you know, that, that, that these relationships need to be uh, harbored all the time. And they are certainly buildable during during these kind of crisis situations. But, but through these relationships then, you know, people, um, it was an interesting process. More people attended church after 9-11 uh, historically in the region 
but then a year later, it diminished below the point that it was before. And, and I think part of it is what you're addressing here, really failure to grasp how to, how to minister long-term to people and, and kind of either assuming that things look normal, they're back to normal, really not appreciating this. I think you just raise your awareness by doing what you're doing, Doug, as you present this stuff. And, and, and then we taking note of this and maybe, you know, reading a little bit. And, and, uh, and I hope you all have someone in your, in your council like me that you can draw from to, to, you know, just get advice from when stuff comes up. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, those of us that are of the faith in, in our field, you know, we love to just share what we can. You know, that's our contribution to the community. Amen. Stay with this, uh, Dr. Van Valen. I'd like to have Bishop Von McLaughlin, like I said, has been a, a friend for many, many years, a person I've gleaned from, learned from. And, uh, and he understands as well what grief and trauma is about. But he also, every night, has been doing something. And then from time to time, I get a chance to be up and, and watch called the, the Midnight Cry. And it's his way of ministering to many, many people following all over the world to be encouraged. But he, he's a deep thinker, as many of you are, and, and I appreciate that, but one who moves from a compassionate heart. And, uh, and, he's, and he sees some practical things over the years where there are people who are struggling and they need a job or they, they're struggling because of stress, anxiety, uh, frustration. And he's been able to bring kind of the spiritual and practical things together, even through their church. As I said, they they purchased a mall that was basically becoming a ghost town in an area that had become depressed. Purchased the mall with no federal funding. And now they have all these anchor businesses and restaurants and bowling alleys. And their church is part of the anchor, one of the anchor buildings there and uh, part of the mall. And so I want Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin to share some of his thoughts on the practical and spiritual side of how uh, we can walk through this together and be a healing balm in the midst of so much things that are going on around our communities. Thank you, Doug. I, I appreciate you. I love you with everything in me uh, from a pastoral perspective. Um, I think for pastors, uh, apostolic leaders, prophetic leaders, pastoral leaders all over, this is an unprecedented time. Um, I weep a lot. Uh, Doug mentioned the uh, midnight cry uh, when the pandemic hit immediately before there was ever any recorded deaths of any significance. When I sensed that this thing was coming and what was going to happen, which is happening now, I, uh, I literally ran to the woods. And I think Doug may remember that I took a, a, a cell phone and found a wilderness. And I went out in the wilderness and I began to uh, seek God like a John the Baptist. What do I say now? And I, I heard the Lord kind of just impressing my spirit to move from sermonic to prophetic. Um, Isaiah says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And um, prophetic, what I mean by that is being able to speak the mind of God on the matter. So my first thing was, Doug, what is God saying about what's going on right now? And I'm doing this from a pastoral perspective. For those of you that are leaders, I'm also a business person. And I really figured, freak people out with my outward stability during these times, because imagine what I've had to shoulder as a founding pastor of a church of thousands, chancellor of a very successful, um, highly accredited Christian academy and founder, as the CEO of a mall, over 250 full-time employees, that I pledged not to lay one off during this entire pandemic, and we have not. As a bishop of a worldwide fellowship, I've had to keep myself and uh, 
uh, together and be there for other pastors, over hundreds of pastors worldwide from Africa, South America, Australia, and here in the United States of America. I'm a husband of one wife, and I got two wonderful kids and grands. And so when you add that all up and your personal devotion to God and your study time and your just personal relationships and even trying to maintain a relationship with Doug Stringer, it could be tough. <laughs> but um, I think as a church leader, one of the things that I know has helped me and helped those that I lead is us uh, developing and pulling on and recognizing our personal relationship with God. I, I think as a church leader, I can say that the church was the one that should have prepared our people and prepared the people that we're responsible for, for these times. Jesus trained his disciples for his absence. And he told them that there would be tribulation, there there would be perilous times, Paul said. But Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And I look back, and and my stability and my strength comes from my weeping, my release. We have grief share for the uh, counselor here. We have on Monday nights, we have grief share available to our congregation live and Zoom for people who cannot handle this, who aren't as spiritual, who aren't as mature, who don't have a strong relationship with God. But in that, we still disciple them to have a relationship with God because the peace is promised when we keep our minds stayed on him. The peace is promised when we don't worry about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So we teach people to be first responders. And also, this is war. I think it's spiritual warfare. I mean, everything that's happening is a war in the heavens. And so as first responders, if you might have been in the military, when you're in battle, uh, really grieving is something you got to put aside for a moment because you got your sword in your hand and you're fighting. And we, we have not stopped feeding the hungry. We have not stopped clothing the naked. Our whole ministry turned into first responders. And that motivated the other people who weren't physically able to get out and do things we just made sure that they knew what we were doing. We responded to them with Zoom and with uh, correspondences and with our Ezekiel uh, apps and stuff and kept everybody head up and realized that we're in a battle and we've got frontline fighters, we got the grunt workers, we got the special forces, we got the Navy SEALs, we got all these people out here. And they felt a part of that. And I've had very little grief. I've had very little uh, despondency. We had very little because everything leads to despair. All of this stuff, if you let it get on you, it'll kill you, man. CNN, NBC, I don't want to call out newscasts, but let me tell you something. There's some gloom and doom and agony on me, deep down depression, pain and misery being presented. And the, coming into the portals of people, their eyes, their ears, and their spirit, it's depressing. And so the prophetic is to edify. And so I think, Doug, you've heard me, what I've tried to do at midnight is just take an hour and speak words that minister grace to the hearers, just to take that time and comfort people. Because the word gives us hope. Despair is the absence of hope. The word gives us hope and preaching and teaching and believing that God is in control, that he's in charge. And so what I've done to keep myself straight is keep the main thing, the main thing. And as Doug said, first responding, uh, I, I just try to make sure that uh, I disciple and that I help and that I encourage 
and that I'm blessed. I believe in the word of God. I believe dry bones can live by the word of God. And I believe that preachers, pastors, leaders don't need to cower now. We need to preach with power, with authority, with conviction. As I said, I weep a lot. I mourn. I grieve with those who grieve. I mourn with those who mourn. But I have a command to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now I'm saying this because I'm testifying. This is how I've kept myself with all of this load on me, with all of this staff, with all of these people, with the millions and millions and millions of dollars of budget. And guess what? We're doing better than what we've done before the pandemic. Overall, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Our restaurants, Doug, is uh, right now setting records every week. Every week, it's a better record of, of sales. Every week, it's just more. We're hiring new people. We're in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, our, our, our fitness center is expanding now. You know, in Florida, we're a red state. We can go where we want to go, do what we want to do, guys. You know, we just get in there and, and mask it up and get shoulder to shoulder and do what we got to do. But there's not this despair that I see in the hearts of so many people. And I'm praying and I'm in a seating and I'm calling on God that people will turn to him, that people will look up and live, that people will understand that we need to have a fresh, dynamic relationship with God. And when I'm counseling people, I can only present to them the Prince of Peace, the God of Peace, the Spirit of Peace, because we need that at this hour. And so my responsibility is as a pastor, I'm a community leader. I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur of the year, the state of Florida. I mean, I've been there, done that. I have to go over to the businesses and pull them together and encourage them because they're serving people in this pandemic, going to work every day and being amongst people that they don't even know. How do you encourage them to do that? And I think when they see a general or when they see a leader that's out front with them, that's taking the risk as a first responder, and that's what first responders do, they take risks, that they're out there, it motivates people, it encourages people. And right now, I think all of us as Christian leaders and as leaders should be modeling for our people what it's like to be a first responder, to take on the responsibility of being that leader and motivating other people to do what God has told us we can do regardless of the times. So I said all that to say, you know, I didn't, prepare, I wanted to hear what was going on and see what was happening. And I was just hoping that I could get on here and just say to some leader, some pastor, you know, encourage yourself in the Lord, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, you know, seek God, call on him, weep, mourn, and then get up and do something about what you can do something about and, and be a first responder and take risks and don't be afraid. I mean, that's, that's just my word to somebody. Bishop, there's a couple of things that you said that really resonate as well, and I think all of us know it. It's sometimes we have to be reminded. I, I've learned that uh, we have to learn by repetition, and uh, the late Dr. Evan Lewis Cole, as you know, had an influence right. in my life and used to say, the characteristics of the kingdom emanate from the character of the king, first King Jesus. But right. as leaders, we create an atmosphere for others to find security or a place of, of, of uh, strength. And if we don't have that in our own lives, it's hard for others to find that people are looking for leadership, uh, right. godly leadership, servant leadership. So you have created an atmosphere for obviously successful uh, 
uh, outcomes, even with your businesses, your employees at the mall and all your people in your congregation. But that takes time and intentionality for you to be in vertical presence with God, knee posture, vertical worship. So that brings in the second point is that, and I couldn't get this out of my mind all last week. I was at the gym here in Houston and uh, driving back, and I kept hearing this song by Don Moen in my head. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Doug, I just, I have a piano just far from me. I'm moving into a new home. And my first thing in the house is the piano. The only thing I'm bringing from the house. Last night, I spent three hours learning, give thanks. Come on. With a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for he has given Jesus Christ, his son. And now, say the week, say, uh, and I sat up all night learning those chords and playing that song and weeping at a piano because I want to give thanks in everything. The Bible said, give thanks unto the Lord. And I'm encouraging our people the same way, man. This is an hour where we can not for everything, but in everything, have a proper attitude and understand, be grateful and thank God and praise him and worship him. The doxology, man, the book is full of it. If we can just praise him and their strength comes, he inhabits that praise. And I was just sitting there playing, man, and the peace of God just came on me. And I was ready to charge hell today with the water pistol because of that, that, that one song and that one act of worship. So I just had to say that because. Absolutely. Yeah, well, see, that. but that's a great point. There's something about breakthrough, even when we don't feel it, when we have an attitude of worshiping and praise and gratitude to God. And um, I was even thinking about the, the feeding of the 5,000, that multiplication comes with very little when we have a grateful heart. And uh, Dr. Van Valen, then Bishop uh, McLaughlin, if you have any final words. Yeah, I just want to, again, thank you, Doug, for, uh, for inviting me in. I, uh, the bishop quoted from Philippians 4, which is one of my key references. I quote that every day. Uh, you know, gratitude in verse eight, how to think. And then the, uh, the, the wonderful concept of learning to be content in all things. So I just want to endorse, you know, the word of God and particularly that particular passage is one to go to and direct people to uh, for very specific instruction. And, and this is, people do need direction. So, so, uh, so, so be, you know, I just want to endorse what the bishop was expressing. You know, we will take some risks as leaders. We will, we need to be upfront. We need to be vocal. And, uh, and for those of you that are, that are not wired for empathy, work on that, uh, because that's what you need for the times of grief development. Hard-charging leaders are often not the most empathic leaders. Uh, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a case in point, <laughs> even, even given what I do. Bishop. Well, I was going to thank you, Doc. I appreciate that and the uh, affirmation, um, especially with Philippians chapter 4 and, and, and how to rejoice and how to think and, and how to handle the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, compassion. I'm a weeper. Um, I, I know that my strength comes from my brokenness. You know, in order to get the, uh, the oil, you got to crush the olive, or the olive got to be broken. And, um, and I keep myself before God. And I was only trying to encourage leaders today, nothing prepared, being with my friend Doug and with you guys, hopefully my new friends and people that we can have some type of acquaintance with, either personally or cyberly uh, in the future. But that we just... Like I said, be first responders, take responsibility, take risks, uh, lead by example, 
Encourage yourself in the Lord. Spend time with God. Get in God's word now. Uh, every prophet in the scriptures had these encounters, whether it was the river Shabbat, whether it was out in the field, whether it was eating the whole roll. Every one of them had something they could fall back on when things got difficult because they knew that God had called them. And when you know that God has called you, that God's hand is on your life, then you got to believe that God will take care of you and God will provide for you. Um, no, we didn't have to lay off anybody. Uh, we did have a PPP shot, but we were prepared to do that even without that. Um, and, and, and now our school and God has protected us from the virus. We've met with hundreds of people now for months and we've not had an outbreak. We have not had any type of issue. Uh, we have been both practical and prayerful and, uh, and God has really, really blessed us. And when I said that I free people out because I have a heavy load and if you know anything about what I do, it's a whole lot more than that. I confer with the governor. I confer with the mayor. I confer with the uh, hey, with, D, with D.C. And God has enabled me to be steady at a time like this. And I'm so grateful to God. And prayer works. Faith. Will the son of man find faith on the earth when he returns? Build your faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Get it in the word of God. And letting God have his way. I love y'all. Amen. The world needs godly, courageous, and committed leaders. As Doug Stringer often reminds us, our desire to win must be greater than our moments of challenge. When you listen, subscribe, and share a Word in Season podcast, you are promoting words of encouragement and hope in a world that's plagued by negativity and despair. Thank you for being that shining light. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.